sense, a power, a resource that could power every home in our country, that could power and fuel every vehicle that we drive, that could power every business, every technological advancement in our world. Imagine if I told you there's this power, there's this resource, there's this substance that's going to do all of those things. But I would also tell you that that same resource can destroy every home, can destroy every vehicle, can destroy every business, every technological advancement. That there's a resource that has the power to fuel all of those things, but that also can destroy all of those things. Like your ears would perk up. You would be interested to know, what is that? How do we get it? How does it work? And then if we thought about it and said, would we want that power? Like some of you who are more type A and driven, you would say, yes. Where can I find it? Give me more of it, right? I want to be in control. I want to man that power. I'll do that. Some of us, though, would say, that's dangerous. Like, a power that can destroy, a power that can fuel so much, that's dangerous. Like, I don't want the responsibility for that, right? A lot of us would, would say that if we're honest. But what if I told you, you don't have a choice. Like, you have to control that. You have to manage that. You have to steward that resource because that resource is money. Money, right? Some of you, as we come in today and we talk about money in the church, maybe you had a, a bad experience with money personally. Maybe you had a bad experience with money in the church, and you don't think of it as a resource that can fuel things for the good of other people, for the glory of God. You think of it as a negative thing. Some of you, you look at money, and you see the destruction that it causes. And you wonder, like, man, I just I want to stay far away from that. Some of you think, I want more money because we could do more good. We could influence the community. We could influence the city. It could help my life and help other people in my life. So I know we're all across the board on the spectrum of money, but we have to say this, that money is powerful. It's powerful to do good, but it's powerful to destroy. And so we have to ask, how do we handle money wisely? You have to handle it, right? You have to manage it. You are in charge of money. Right? No matter how much you have. If you work at Apple or if you work at Applebee's. Right? You have money. We need to ask, how do we handle it wisely? And so I'm going to pray for us as we turn to our passage. Our passage today is going to be a little bit all over the map in the book of Proverbs. We're going to start in Proverbs 8. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Flip over to Proverbs 8. As you do that, let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a few moments to look at your word. God, I pray uh, for us as we talk about money, as you talk about money in your word, that as many of us have had a bad experience, as many of us maybe even now feel uncomfortable, like what is he going to say? He's going to ask us for money, pass the plate, all those things that, and all those misconceptions and obstacles that we have to overcome, help us to overcome them. And God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would help us to embrace some of that uncomfortableness. God, that when you speak truth into sensitive areas of our life, that makes us uncomfortable, and that's a good thing. So I pray that you would convict us and conform us to your image in regard to finances, money, and possessions. God, I pray that you would do that now by your spirit, through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Proverbs 8 is where we'll start, and uh, so go ahead and look there. Proverbs 8, 10 through 11 says this. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver. 
and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So our first point, if you're taking notes, is money isn't everything. Some context, this is Solomon. He's the second son of King David. He was the third king of Israel. His reign lasted around 40 years. In 2 Chronicles, you can read about Solomon and his life and his reign. And what it tells us in 2 Chronicles is that Solomon had it all. Right? He had 1,400 chariots. He had 12,000 horsemen. 2 Chronicles 9 says that Solomon made silver and gold as common as stone. Just imagine all the stones in Phoenix. All the rocks in Phoenix, right? There's a lot, right? There's a lot of zeroscape. My house is zeroscape. And even, even as I just think about that, I think if all those rocks were silver and gold, then that would be a lot of wealth, right? You think about that in Phoenix. Like, that's a lot of wealth. It's, it's silver and gold is common as stone. So you read about Solomon in Second Chronicles, and you read that he had everything made of gold. It says that he has an ivory throne and that it's covered in pure gold. It says at one point that he builds shields for battle that are made of pure gold, and he just puts them in his palace. That he has cups made of gold, that he has steps made of gold. It says in 2 Chronicles 9 that no other king in the world was as wealthy as Solomon. So Solomon writes a lot of our Proverbs. We've been going through this book. He writes a lot of this, and he writes this saying, listen, wisdom is more Precious than a jewel. It's better than choice gold. And this is a man who knew what that was like, right? This is Solomon saying that wisdom is better than wealth. He says it again in Ecclesiastes 5. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity that you can have gold and money and wealth overflowing, but if you don't have wisdom, you're missing out. Some of you didn't realize we've been going through the book of Proverbs. You've been getting little deposits of wisdom in your account every week, and you don't even realize you're getting rich, right, with wisdom because it's more powerful, it's more valuable than wealth. Solomon is saying that. God is saying that. As we look at Scripture this morning, wealth isn't a bad thing, but it isn't everything, right? And so, That's what we see in Proverbs 8, Proverbs 22, 1 through 2. You can just listen. You don't have to flip there. But it says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, that favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So you see in those two verses, a good name, that integrity, reputation, the way you carry yourself publicly and privately, that favor, that kindness in relationships with others, that kindness in your relationship with God, Then it says the Lord is the maker of everyone, that whether you're rich or poor, God created it all. And so you have a value and a worth that's based on your image, being an image bearer of God and not your bank account. That money isn't everything. Wisdom says that there's more important things than money. Listen, money can buy you a house, but it can't build a home. And you know this if you've looked at your life. Some of you have chased success and career and status. And if you're honest this morning, you're distant from your spouse, you're distant from your friendships, you're distant from your kids, they don't ever see you. Some of you don't even get wrapped up in relationships because you think they'll just get in the way. I don't don't have time for friendships, I don't have time for a spouse, I don't have time for kids. They'll just get in the way of my perceived success, my accumulation of wealth. Listen, you need to know that Wisdom and life will tell us that you don't ever regret, like, 
man, I wish I would have worked more so I could have a nicer car. Like my daughter, she's never going to come to me later on in life and say, Daddy, I wish you would have worked more weekends so I could have upgraded my iPhone. No, she's going to come to me and say, Daddy, I wish we could have spent more time together. Like my wife, she's not going to come to me and say, like, man, I wish we could have bought the, the newest version of the Honda Odyssey. Like, can we get the DVD player? Like in 20 years, she's not going to regret the not having the DVD player in the Odyssey. She's going to regret that we didn't spend more time together. Because there's more to life than accumulation of wealth. There's more to life than investing into money. Because wisdom can buy you a house, but it can't build a home. Right? It can buy you food to put on your table, but it can't put people around that table. It can't give you fellowship around that table. It can't provide lasting, deep, and meaningful relationship in your life. And you, you know this. Right? But so many of us, we keep going down this road, this path of folly with our money, and we pursue it as if it is ultimate. But what Scripture is going to tell us is that money isn't ultimate, that it's fleeting. Money is fleeting. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Sports Illustrated did a survey recently of retired athletes. It said in the NFL, 78% are bankrupt or in serious financial trouble two years after retirement. In the NBA, 60% are broke in five years after retirement. That money is fleeting. Listen, this isn't just athletes or the extravagant, right? This is you and me. I mean, how many times, whether you make a lot or make a little, how many times do you say, like, where did my paycheck go? Like, it was just the 15th, and it's the 17th, and it's already gone, right? Where did it go? Some of you look at your bank account, and you're shocked. You're floored. You're just like, how did that number get so small so quickly? Like, what happened to it? Some of you, people give you money for a gift, like a gift card or uh, money just at Christmas, and you think, man, this is so amazing. I got $500. And then two months later, you're like, where did that $500 go? What did we spend it on? Do you still have those clothes? I think I lost them. Like, what happened to our money? I remember when my wife and I graduated college. We got married, and we were uh, double income, no kids. Those were the days. And uh, we both didn't make anything, right? But we had a double income, no kids, and a, I think a $525 a month apartment. It was in East Texas, so that was possible. And... Um, I remember after a few months, we were just like living the life, and this is amazing. We didn't really budget, and I was saving for seminary at the time. We went on a vacation, one vacation to Seattle, and like six months down the road, we were like, where did all our money go? Like, we're not as rich as we thought we were, because money is fleeting, no matter how much you have. Money isn't everything, but we can make it everything, can't we? We can make money everything, and when you do, it can make you crazy. Proverbs 1 says there's a group of people who lie and wait for blood to fill their house with plunder that people will kill for possessions. And you might think, well, I would never kill anybody for money or possessions. But listen, it might damage and divide and distort all of your relationships in life. Like you may not go out and kill someone for money, but man, it can divide a relationship. I just think about my kids. Last night, I was putting the kids to bed, 
And I walk into the bathroom, they're both in there, and my daughter got a bracelet for her birthday. And she has that bracelet, and she's sticking it like in the far corner of the counter where my two-year-old can't reach it. And he's like, I want it. And she's like, no. You know, it's to the death, right, for this little My Little Pony bracelet. That's causing a ruckus in our family at bedtime. And so I walk in there, and I'm like, what's going on? And my daughter's like, she's six. She just turned six. And she's like, I got this bracelet, but Ashwin wants it, and I can't let him get it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's. Let's work through that, you know, just a, just a bracelet. We'll get it in the morning. And they weren't really having it. So at one point, I just picked up both my kids and put them on my shoulders. And I took them to bed, and I put the bracelet in my pocket. And after I put my son to bed, I went to my daughter's bed, and I said, baby girl, do you still, you still want this bracelet? And she shot up out of bed, and in a whisper, very strategically, she said this. She said, Daddy, I think we need to hide it. It was like Smeagol with the rink. Like she was thinking, like, I think we need to hide it. Like he might wake up in the middle of the night and go find my bracelet. It's a My Little Pony bracelet. And listen, those of you who have kids know this. In six months, maybe even in six weeks, if we lose that bracelet, and we will, and it's gone, they won't even notice. But in the moment, right now, it's the most ultimate, beautiful thing in the world, right? And it will cause a divide between my six-year-old and my two-year-old. Because money and possessions, no matter what it is, can make you crazy. And we see that in the little things, but we also see it in the big things. Every stat that I could find over the last few years from the FBI, from other law enforcement agencies, showed that theft was in the top three most committed crimes. Like consistently, it was always in the top three. According to most studies, money is still the number one cause of divorce, independent of how much you make. And listen, you may not be caught up in theft, you may not be close to a divorce, but some of you feel that weight of money in your life. Like you feel the destructiveness in your life. That it maybe is not leading to divorce in your marriage, but that financial stress is all you guys talk about. That someone wants to spend, someone wants to save, that you have argument over argument about what you're going to do with the money. That friendships, maybe somebody is just like taking you out to eat all the time and it's been helpful to you and they've been generous to you in life. But maybe you have this other friend that every time they call, you know they want something. Your family member, every time they call, you know, what's he going to ask for now? And it's divided that relationship because money can divide. It can be destructive. It can make you crazy. And if you're there this morning, you need to know that it doesn't have to be that way. Like money can be a good thing. It can be harnessed to do a lot of good. And that's our second point, that money isn't evil. First Timothy 6 says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. But money in and of itself is not evil. Proverbs 6 says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That it's good to work and have money. That poverty is not a good place to be, right? It's a good thing to work hard, to build wealth in a responsible way. Proverbs 13 says that wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. It's saying if you work over time and build wealth, 
Like, that's a good thing. It's a good thing if, if that increases. Later in Proverbs 13, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That working hard, that planning, that saving, that building wealth is a good thing. I remember when I got my first job in high school, and uh, it was before I even had my driver's license, and my dad would have to drop me off. And there was this ranch out in the middle of nowhere. And it was the summer, and my dad would drop me off there at 7 a.m. Right? And I would show up there, had no clue how to work. And I would show up, and the guy there would tell me, like, I want you to take your post hole diggers and your shovel and your drill, and I want you to do this. And I would be like, okay, I don't know how to do any of that. Um, 15. But uh, if you want to entrust me that, let's do this. Um, and so I would mow the grass. I would build a deck. I would move dirt from one pile to the other. Right? Very important work. And I remember coming home after that first week, and I was exhausted. And my dad's picking me up, and I said to him on the way home, I said, Dad, work is hard. <laughs> and my dad said this. He said, son, that's why they call it work. Right? And he was right. But listen, at 15, I learned that as I've grown in life and worked all kinds of jobs. And even now, work is a good thing. Like the responsibility to manage wealth, to work hard, to sweat. It's a good thing. So money doesn't have to be evil. It helps you develop a skill, right? As you go to work and you begin to hone your craft and see how God wired you and how he created you to be for your good but also the good of others in your, vo in your vocation, it helps you develop that skill. Proverbs 22 says this, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. Listen, I know a lot of us are frustrated with our jobs. Like, do you feel that? Some of you are frustrated with your jobs. If you're honest, you're not doing what you dreamed of doing. You're not, in your career, you're not where you thought you would be at this point. Like, and you get frustrated with that. And sometimes, if you're honest, you complain about that. Like, you complain about that, you come home, you sulk about that personally, you talk your spouse's ear off about that. You're just like, man, people don't appreciate me at my job. I'm not getting to do what I want to do. When's that going to happen for me? When's somebody going to notice me? When's somebody going to discover me? Listen, if you're in that place, I I've been there too. Like even in ministry, in vocational ministry, there was a season in my life where I just, I wasn't in the role that I wanted to be in. I didn't feel like other people appreciated my skills, right? And I wanted a status. I wanted another role. I wanted prominence. I wanted to be discovered, right? And I didn't feel like anybody around me saw that. And so I would come home to my wife and just say, baby, they don't appreciate me. They don't realize what I'm capable of. And I would be frustrated and I would sulk and I would complain. And one day God convicted me of that. I erect me and just to realize if I was given that role, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Like if I was given that status and that prominence, I wasn't ready for that. And God knew that. And so I began to take that time of complaining, of sulking, and I began to release that into honing my skill, into developing. God, how have you wired me? What have you created me for? How can I take all that time of worrying about all, the, all these other people and how they don't appreciate me and how I'm not in the right role and all these things that I can't control? How can I take that time and unleash it into the skill that you have given me and hone that craft? For your glory and my good. And so I began to work on teaching and preaching because that's what I do. 
I began to work on leadership and, and reading books and listening to podcasts and, and functionally getting out and leading. I remember I wanted to preach so bad when I was in college, and my uh, college pastor got around me, and he said, how about we try this? Why don't you teach two guys and see if they listen, and then we'll see, right? And I needed that. I needed to see, like, can I hone my skill with a couple before God gives me a couple hundred, right? Are you taking the time in your life with your job, with your skill, whatever it is, to begin to to hone that, to begin to work on that, to begin to develop it and be faithful in those little things. Listen, if you work hard, not to be discovered, but if you work hard, you'll be discovered when it's the right time, when God thinks you're ready for that. And it may not look like you want it to look, but it's going to look a much better way than you coming home and just being frustrated and wasting away because you don't think you have the right opportunity. So, Working hard, developing a skill, making money, and that can be a joy and a blessing not only to you, but to the community that you're surrounded by. And it can bring freedom. Proverbs 22, 7 says this, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. Have you heard this verse? Like the borrower is slave to the lender. The opposite is true, right? If you have money and don't have debt, and you know this in your life, you have a lot more freedom, right? You have a lot more opportunity in life. I know a, a couple that we uh, knew from college that wanted to be missionaries. Like even as a married couple, that was their desire, that was their dream. But they incurred a lot of debt, and ultimately they had to work at the bank. Listen, the bank is not bad, right? But for them, they felt called to do something specific, like go be a missionary that required being kind of set with their finances, and they weren't able to do that. Because they had debt, because they were enslaved by it. They didn't have that freedom. Money can provide freedom for you. I heard someone say the other day, we decided as a family just to say yes. Just to say yes to whatever God is calling us to. Like if he's calling us to go here, go here or give here, that we're just going to say yes to that. And they had that freedom to do that because they had set aside some money and they were secure there. So they had the freedom to bless other people in their life, to go here, to give here. Because they had that freedom, that money can provide freedom. Money isn't evil, it's like water, right? Money is like water. It can be reckless and careless, and it can be like a tsunami. And it can destroy you and everybody around you. Or you can be greedy with money, right? You can hoard it, and you can say, I'm going to take all of it for myself. And money can become like this rancid pod, pond, right? It just sits there at the back of your house. Like at my house, I have this water system, and for whatever reason, part of the system, it's broken, and there's water that just gathers up by my fire pit. And it begins to erode everything around it. And when we get leaves in there, they begin to mold, and it's disgusting, right? Because the water's not going in and out like it should, right? It's being hoarded. It's gathering up in that one spot because it's broken. It's not working right. And it kind of stinks, and it's useless. It's like a rancid pond. Like money's like water, it can be like that, or it can be like a river flowing in and out beautifully, that it can be a blessing for miles. That that other part of my sprinkler system, when it's working right, that water's going in and that it's going out. And it's giving life, it's making things grow, that we can be generous with our money, that it can be freeing and life-giving. Money can be a blessing. 
Proverbs 22 says, blessed are those who are generous, that there's blessing in your generosity. There's examples like this in our church. There's a couple in our church who has a condo in California, and they just make it available to lots of people, right? And they just say, like, if you want to use this as a blessing, if this is going to be restful for you, man, go. We would love to have you guys out there. And they use that possession to bless others generously. It's like a river, right? It's flowing in, it's flowing out. It's not just blessing them, it's blessing others, right? I see this with another guy in our church who has his own business, and he's wanting to grow that business for lots of reasons, but partially so he can give more money to the church. Right? He's using his money, his possessions, he's freeing that up and unleashing it to do good for others. There's a couple who moved from the suburbs right down the street. They gave up their uh, nicer house, right? the comfort of the suburbs, and they moved right down the street. And they have three kids. And they did that so they could unleash their money and possessions to be a blessing to this neighborhood, to this community that really needs it. There's a, there's a church in uh, Philadelphia uh, in the inner city that built a playground for kids in the community. As they began to invest in this community, inner city Philadelphia, right? They began to invest in this community and they began to see like, man, all these parents don't take their kids to playgrounds because it's not safe. And so they just thought, man, what if we could raise money and build them a playground? One that's safe, one that has a fence around it, one that we could provide security and a rotation of security at that location. And so this church did that. They raised enough money to build a playground in that community. Listen, not a playground for their church so they could all hang out and their kids could have a, a dandy time. I'm sure they used it, right? But they built it specifically to enrich that community. And now those kids in inner city Philadelphia have a playground because of a church, right? As we started Phoenix Bible Church, one of the things that drove me was that I wanted to have a church where love moved, right? That we want to build a culture where love moves, where it goes outside of us. We don't just talk about love. Like, we can come in here, we can talk about love, we can sing about love. But if it doesn't move us to action, that's not really love. I was watching a movie the other night, and it said uh, a person had died in the movie. It's called The Judge. It's a good movie. Um, and on the tombstone, it said of her, it said, a love marked by giving. Isn't that the only kind of love? Right? If we just talk about love, that doesn't really mean anything. But if we love sacrificially, if we give generously, man, that's a love that moves. That's a love that reflects the love of God. Because it's moving outside of us. The third thing I want you to see is that money is evidence. Money is evidence. Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What Jesus is saying, what Scripture tells us, that what we do with our money and possessions reveals our heart. So you need to ask, what does your money say about you? I'll be honest, sometimes as we look at our bank account, our money says that we love the chicken sandwich. Right? That we love Chick-fil-A. And I do. It's great. 
But listen, if I look at my bank account and I see all this flippant spending here and there, we're going way outside of our budget, we're doing what feels right at the time, we're spending money on things that we don't absolutely need, we're just doing things to appease our kids, to make them happy, all right, so they're not crying. That's, that's not what God has called us to do with our money, right? That's not revealing a heart of worship in my life. And so we have to look at our bank accounts sometimes and be honest. Like, we, we do love Chick-fil-A too much. Like, we do love these other things too much. We are spending flippantly in ways that aren't wise, that aren't beneficial and life-giving like that river to others. And so we have to recalibrate. We have to go back to the budget. We have to think, what does it look like to stop doing that and to start giving here? This is an area we all have to address. How are you leveraging your finances to invest in the, in the temporary instead of the eternal? What does that look like for you? Listen, it's not bad to spend money. It's not bad to eat out. It's not bad to go on vacations. But are you creating space in your life to give it away, to bless, to save, to invest, to retire? Are you spending your money wisely? Is it reflecting that you know God? Like, do people know you and they say, man, that guy, he works. Like he has a lot of money or he has a little bit of money. But listen, he uses that to bless people. He uses it differently. He unleashes it as a power that's huge in people's lives, in careers, in the community. Are people saying that when they see you deal with your money? Does it reflect a heart of worship to God? How do we address this? I want to give you some guiding principles. We'll run through these pretty fast. But uh, the first one is trust God. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats with, will be bursting with wine. So here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that if you give, you will get rich. Some people take verses like these and say, if you give us money, like maybe you've seen this on TV, churches, pastors will say this, if you give us money, you'll get it back all the more. All right, and maybe you will, uh, but that's not what God is, is trying to teach us. I've always thought with that, like, let's just flip it just for fun. Like, you give me money, and then we'll just see what happens, right, to the televangelist. But I, I don't think it works that way, apparently. Um, but that's not what it's saying. It's not saying give and you'll get rich. But what it is saying is that if you give and you trust God with your money, that he's going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about that. That if you give, if you're generous, that God is going to bless you for that. The second principle is that we need to work hard. We've talked about this. Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Listen, you don't want to be like the sluggard in Proverbs 26 that says there is a, a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. What does that mean? It's that the sluggard in Proverbs, you see this guy everywhere, that he's always finding excuses. That we say, it's time to go to work. And he says, no, man, there's a lion in the streets. I saw it on Twitter. <laughs> I'm, I can't go out there. It's not time to go to work yet. And we just find excuses and we don't work hard. Maybe your excuse is like, man, I don't love my job. Scripture speaks to this, to work hard. That you will grow, that you will develop a skill, that you will flourish eventually. It may not look like you want it now. You may have to be patient, but you need to work hard. The third thing is we need to be generous. Proverbs 3.27 says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it, be generous where you can in the lives of other people. 
the, the uh, how many is that? Four. Be content. Proverbs 30 says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Listen, enjoy where you are. Enjoy what you have. Be content. And then lastly, be wise. Understand your tendency. Listen, a lot of us fall into one or two camps. A lot of us are either risk takers or we play it safe. Like we're risk takers or we play it safe. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't know what that looks like in my life. This may help you. If you're a risk taker, you spend instead of save. If you play it safe, you do analytics before you buy anything. If you're a risk taker, you get antsy if you're in one place too long, like one job, one city, and you like to move around. If you play it safe, home is security. If you're a risk taker, budgeting puts you to sleep. If you play it safe, budgeting is date night. You need to know what camp you fall into, right? What is your tendency? You need to be wise with that because neither one of those is ideal, right? You don't want to be just a risk taker. You don't want to play it safe. You want to be generous. You want it to be like a river that's coming in you and going through you to bless you and other people around you, to honor God. Understand your tendency and be wise in both. So for the risk taker, if that's you, are you caught up in consumerism? Do you ever take time to just enjoy where you are? Are you so driven that you're always thinking about the next place to live, the next job to take, that you don't ever just enjoy where you are? How can you grow in contentment? Listen, this is me. Man, I don't ever stop thinking about the next step for my family, the next step for our church. I get restless, and I have to sit down sometime and just take a breath, right? Enjoy my family. Enjoy my finances. Enjoy this city. Enjoy where we are. Listen, Phoenix is a transient place, right? Like, how many of you are here, and you're just like, I was born here, and I want to die here? Like, some of you are like that, but a lot of people I talk to are just like, I'm here because my job brought me here. I'm here until the next opportunity comes. Listen, as a side note, Phoenix is a great city, right? It's a big city. We got a lot of sun. There's a lot of opportunity here. There's different areas and different cultures of the city. I didn't even know about this area of town. Just all the cool places to eat, all the cool things to do. And then you have the suburbs and all the uh, outlet malls and all those things. Phoenix is a great city. Stop and look around. Root for the Cardinals. And enjoy where you are. Be content. Be wise, especially if you're a risk taker. And grow in contentment. Listen, if you play it safe... Are you putting money as ultimate in your life? Is it becoming part of your identity? Are you robbing yourself and others of the gift of money and possessions? Like, do you never let it be a gift, a river flowing out of you? How can you grow more in your generosity? If you play it safe, how can you be wise and, and grow more in being generous with other people, enjoying the gift of money? Money with wisdom has the potential to do amazing things, right? Money with folly can be very destructive. And here's what I know, that as we talk about wisdom and money, most people and most of you right now are thinking about your folly. You're thinking about the folly of your past, the folly of your present in regard to money. And that's convicting for you. And, and let me just say this, that's a good thing, right? That's what God does is he convicts us of where we are and he takes us where he wants us to be. He conforms us to his image. 
So if that's you this morning, if all you can think about is your folly, how you've neglected money, how you've mishandled money, what do you do? What do you do if that's you? There was a guy named Zacchaeus in the New Testament. He was exploiting people for money. He was a tax collector. And that day, those people were looked on like criminals. He was exploiting people for money. And one day he hears about Jesus. And he wants to see him. So he climbs up in a tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. And he does. And Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, this guy who has made a mess of his finances. And he says, I want to go sit with you. Let's go have dinner. Let's roll. Let's do that. And he goes and he sits with Zacchaeus in the midst of his financial mess, in the midst of his folly. And he shows Zacchaeus grace and generosity. And Zacchaeus looks at that and it changes him. Jesus saves him and saves him financially. And it changes him. He goes from taking money from people to giving money to people. He makes a commitment to be generous. So if that's you, if you have wrapped yourself up in folly with your finances, what do you need to do? You need to climb up in that tree. You need to get a glimpse of Jesus, whatever that takes for you. Like this morning, whatever is distracting you, whatever you're thinking about, if it's your money, if it's your folly, if it's your busyness, if it's your work, You need to stop thinking about that. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to get a glimpse of him. As we've gone through the book of Proverbs, here's what you see over and over. That there's a path of wisdom and there's a path of folly. And it's the same way in our finances. What does it take to jump out of this path into this path of wisdom? You need to turn. You need to get a glimpse of Jesus and start following him. He will transform you and he will transform your money for your joy and his glory. Turn to him. There's life there. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for money. I thank you for the blessing that it can be. God, I pray for these men and women, even now, that they would assess where they are with their finances. That if some are in folly, that they would see your generosity and your graciousness in the midst of that. And that you would transform that in their lives. They would get a glimpse of you. And how you have given everything to them. And we want to steward that well. We want to save, invest, give well to honor you. So help us to do that. Help us to see what those steps are. God, I pray that in this situation, if, we were, if we're married, we wouldn't just think about how our spouse screws up money. We would think we would own that ourselves. Like, how can I help with money? We wouldn't just think about our friend who just screwing their life up with money. We would think about us. Like, how can we manage money better? It's an amazing resource that can bring power and life, that can be like a river, but that also can bring destruction. Well, teach us what that looks like. Show us Jesus Christ. Even now, help us to look to him, to how to be wise with our money. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.